up, people? Welcome back to episode four of the montage series on the Over and 80 Minutes podcast. This week, we've got quite a little different one. I quite like it. It's a lot of independent people, a lot of individual stars and athletes all talking about their specific roles and how they got into the situation they're in and how they make it work and how they love every single part of what they do. So let's get started. Without further ado, we've got European boxer, we've got British champion boxer, we've got Joe Hughes, incredible man. He talks about in this segment about getting into boxing, boxing from a young age and developing that elite mentality that boxers are known for having. Let's play the clip. What I mean, but it had like a certain smell to it even. It was like, it wasn't a nice smell. It was horrible. Like you, <laughs> if you went in there for an hour or two, you come out, even if you hadn't trained, your clothes would stink of it. Everything like that. It was something like it wasn't nice, but it had like a certain, it was uh, it was quite atmospheric. It had a certain sort of feel to it. Um, and everyone was there. For, it was sort of, for it was a hard, you know, you had to work hard. If you turned up, you had to have your T-shirt tucked in. If you didn't have a T-shirt tucked in, you get kicked out. If you didn't turn up to a training session for whatever reason, unless it was, a, you know, a, a good reason, you'd mm-hmm. get kicked out of the club. Um, if you were like, oh, I'm going to football tonight, I am not. I can't make it to the coach. You'd say, okay, yeah, no problem, but just don't come back next week. It was sort of... Um, oh. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was, oh, I've got some on this week. I'm going to my friend's house uh, tonight. So I won't be there. It was like, okay, well, yes, fine, but don't don't bother coming back. It was, you know, it was that sort of place. Um, and I actually thought it was really good being like that, to be honest, because it was <laughs> like you're you're there and you're doing it, you know, taking it seriously. And my old coach Tony Stannard, his viewpoint was where he was giving up his time and effort <clears throat> and everything like that for free, putting his time into you. Um, oh, it was for free. Oh, I thought it was like well, a paid club. I'd say it was free. I think it was twenty pounds for the year when I joined. Right. So yeah, so basically free. Free. Um, yeah. yeah, basically. And it was like so if you're there, great, come along and um, you know, train hard and everything like that. But if you're not want- willing to put it in, then why does would he want to waste his time? Which, you know, is understandable, I think. But I was gonna say I suppose that's how yeah. you breed champions, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> if you're not interested in doing it, boxing is not really the sport you want to be doing if you don't want to do it yeah if you know what i mean well that's that's a great question i've actually got a note here written down which i'm going to move up to the next question so the discipline and the mindset of the combat sport world gives you did that become almost drilled into you as quickly as you found the love boxing with your coaches and the mentality of that yeah can can you just describe the the discipline and mentality things like boxing give you because boxing is quite universally known for being a sport to almost straighten people out yeah, I mean, um, it was for me, but I, mean, I was raised like that at home anyway, uh, really, right. in terms of the respect and discipline and training hard, working hard and everything like that was sort of some of my parents instilled in me anyway. Uh, we're back in there, a bit of technical difficulty, but Joe's back now. So, Joe, we were just about halfway through talking through the discipline and uh, the mindset instilled from you when you were younger, and you said it came through at home? Yeah, uh, yeah, it was part of really how I was raised, my uh especially my dad was sort of, you know, it wasn't like overly strict or anything, but it was a case of, you know, if you want to do something, then you've got to work hard doing it and, you know, don't mess around doing it. If you wanted to do the boxing, you know, take it seriously and, you know, put your F into it. Otherwise, don't bother. And I think boxing in general is like that. A lot of boxing clubs, uh, they're happy to have anyone in there as long as you're willing to, you know, learn, work hard, uh, listen to what you're told by the coaches uh, so you learn what you need to learn. Um, mm. And like the gym I went to in Malmesbury, like I said before, 
um, you'd get kicked out if you were, weren't doing certain things, uh, which would seem like small things, but in like the overall picture, it's quite like uh, big parts for your life, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. <coughs> yeah, no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I like that, yeah, because yeah, um, like I was saying just before there, the, the way that people sort of interpret boxing from the outside, or like myself personally, is if you're... I notice like a lot of people when they're trying to train people to make changes in their lives, they'll take them to like a boxing regime hmm. and it'll be that you'll have the bags, you'll have the discipline involved. So I just kind of, I've always wondered how that comes across from people in the boxing world and then how that discipline changes. And then if it's as true as it's made out from the others, but it seems like it really does get instilled in you guys from such a young age. Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of it's like I say, I mean, I had a lot of it at home anyway, but a lot of yeah. times the coaches um are instrumental in that sort of thing <laughs> excuse me <It's> right. <coughs> and like yeah sort of strict a lot of coaches become sort of father figures as well to um yeah. to the to a lot of fighters and uh things like that and where where i boxed if you got in trouble you know outside of the gym or at school and that you'd get in trouble for it at the gym so if you were fighting outside of the gym you'd get you'd get kicked out or you'd get punished or stuff like that if you were misbehaving at school even mm-hmm. and they you know the, the the boxing coach was always like trying to speak to your teachers about it and you know trying to figure a way to to figure it out you know so well that's um that's really great um speaking speaking on that there about the fighting outside um i've noticed every time i've come into contact with people that do a combat sport or they do some sort of martial art or they even if they just practice i don't know what the you know the version of karate that there is where it's almost shadow it's like shadow karate and they yeah, all stand yeah, in rows. Yeah. but they all that but then <coughs> there's like that real sort of calmness and not a sense of can't be bothered but they're just it's even hard to describe it because i wouldn't class yourself as thinking you're above above it when somebody always tries it on but i imagine you get a few people that always you know they always do the cringy put them up put them up and, yeah. uh, and you just and then so how does that come about because do you get a lot of people that come in the gym that think they are a pro boxer before they're not and then they quickly find themselves out or yeah quite often you get people in who come in and sort of think a bit more of themselves um in yeah. terms of you know being able to fight or what than the reality is um mm-hmm. and i think a lot of people are that especially like you say getting in a fight outside of the gym um or outside of the ring is just a case of i don't know uh misplaced confidence perhaps in themselves and when mm-hmm. the people who really know how to fight um yeah you sort of one you don't have anything to prove to anybody and two you sort of think to yourself, well you know that could actually end up quite bad you know um and not even just for yourself you hurt someone seriously you mean you could spend the rest of your life in prison couldn't you you know so it's sort of i think um as well as just the discipline you feel the the feel the don't feel the need to want to do that like if i want to have a fight with someone i can have a fight with someone in the boxing gym in a controlled sort of thing not get in trouble for it uh with the law um, but yeah, I think just the attitude of it, like we spoke about before, um, is more of it. You say a lot of people are fighters. If you a lot of people who know how to fight, don't do it. You know, and that's <laughs> a real a real reason to do it. Um, you sort of think, well, why would why? Yeah, it's pointless, really. That's that's exactly. So I um I know a few from professional wrestling background how they actually because they've tra- done other trainings of legitimate combat sport to sort of increase their i don't know convincingness of throwing a punch but they they all say the same thing as well of 
you, you people challenge you to a fight and you the first thing comes through in your head going well, there's no benefit in it for me, so what's really the point? <laughs> yeah, if you had, if you had a genuine reason that you needed to, you know, to defend yourself or something, then yeah, of course. But if you don't, then you know, it is just a waste of time, really. Yeah, <laughs> unless you want to pay me, like I, I, yeah. I get paid to fight. So, you know, and, and what's the purse? You know, so yeah. that 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 would be probably the most hard man response to somebody challenging <laughs> yeah. to a fight going. Yeah, are yeah. you gonna are you gonna pay me yeah. enough money to yeah, fight you? Yeah. yeah, how much if, have you got in your wallet? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you see, if, if I tried something to fight and they said that to me, I'd walk out of the room. I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've lost. What's the point? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This this guy's confident that he's going to bet money on himself in a fight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's the first round KO without throwing a punch, isn't it? <laughs> I I don't know if that counts as technical or if that counts as legit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Either way, Sam Matthews is now zero one one. There you go. Now talk about an elite mentality, having that young age, getting told if you're not in the gym, you're out. That's it. No, no excuses, no nothing. Next, we go back to one of the very, very first episodes. You can tell just by when I recorded this, the sound different, how everything was. Now we go back to our episode with Daz Black and he talks all about getting into pro wrestling from such a young age, hitting the ring when he was about 10 years and having his first professional match before he'd even turned 16. What an incredible achievement. And he's now reaping the rewards. Congratulations on your recent title win. Let's roll the clip and see how he develops all that skill and all that talent. Wrestling. How did you choose wrestling? Where was, where did the love from wrestling come from? Uh, it's literally just that, you know, age-old story. I watched it as a kid. I think I was like maybe four or five. I was out around at my friend's house and he like turned it on and um, I think it was Jeff Hardy versus Big Show on Smackdown. Well, that's the first <laughs> I Smack think I think that's the most two generic names you could ever pick. Like <laughs> yeah. Jeff and Jeff and the Big Show. <laughs> but yeah, I just got me hooked and ever since then I wanted to do it. And then me and that friend um, were trying to like figure out how to do it. So we looked on the internet uh, for like schools and it was all a bit confusing. And most schools you had to be like, 16 or 18 or something to go mm -hmm. uh and then i found pbw and it said on the website when i was looking through that um drew mcintyre trained there and i was like mm -hmm. that's the one that is the one <laughs> <laughs> that's the name yeah so mate right i'm gonna talk to you so wrestling obviously you're english did you come up to pbw for like i just i i need to get this across to the guests so you're a professional wrestler you're 19 years old you're english you've trained at a scottish a very prestigious Scottish wrestling school. For those who don't know, a lot of my listeners will be non-wrestling aficionados like myself. Right, yeah. Past, past four classes and call myself out of it. So <laughs> we're getting into it. So did you, so when you found PVW, at this point, were you in Scotland or did you think, I'm going to Scotland, I'm doing it, I'm moving up there? No, I was, I'm still, and have always lived in England. Um, mm -hmm. So I found the school and then I convinced my dad to take me up for one mm -hmm. Sunday class and I thought that was it because obviously I wasn't <laughs> thrilled about taking me all the way to Scotland but um did it but he saw like obviously because like as soon as I did I just wanted to do it forever like mm -hmm. and you could tell you know how much I liked it so he yeah. said he could just he'd carry on taking me and I, like, I, all I, the way up yeah he probably thought it was a phase but <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh it's, it's, it's as hard as it sounds your dad was waiting for that one nasty bump and he's like i'm not <laughs> yeah. going there again that'll be that <laughs> yeah pretty much but so how, how, how far was the journey how far is like your dad taking you every sunday for a class it's about 
two hours there and back. Uh, so it's a pretty good day out. It was like, obviously you get there, two hours there and then train for four hours and then come back. So, yeah. <laughs> Mate, was this, was this at the time when PBW was still using like the school gymnastic mats? Like you see all these... Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I think so always... Like, what, yeah. So like once again, just for the people that might not know, so when you think of school gymnastics mats, like think of those thin, like seven or eight millimeter blue mats. So you've got Daz here doing front flip bumps, and you've got him doing like slams, everything on these things. Like age eight, <laughs> obviously not age eight. They wouldn't have had you doing that. But... <laughs> no, oh my god, yeah, that was like the biggest shock I reckon when I got there. Because obviously I was mm-hmm. thinking like, well, it must have a wrestling ring, especially yeah. so like. Uh, and then yeah but to be fair i like it because they are so much harder than like you know bumping in a ring bumping mm-hmm. on them mats was so much worse and uh, i think so so like it definitely toughened you up a lot quicker <laughs> so i guess oh, that's no. a benefit from it you know it's gonna say you get you get in a ring now and somebody throws just like ah oh, that's nice just... yeah <laughs> no <laughs> do it again just been thrown off a 12 foot ladder <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I wish it was um, that easy. <laughs> <laughs> so, mate, I was checking your research before we started, and now, like, so you do your first match. You've obviously you've been going up since eight. So by the time you've done seven, your time you hit 17, 2016, you've got your first match. So at this point, is it safe that you've been wrestling almost ten years, or training for wrestling ten years? Um, I think I started when I was eleven or twelve. So mm-hmm. I'd say seven or eight years. So still seven or eight years of yeah. So seven eight years practice. What's it like? So for example, because I first I first got introduced to you when you were a bit older. So I I first met yeah, you when yeah. you were making quite a scene in PBW. I say met you. I started watching you. So <laughs> when it came so when it came through, so like you're seventeen years old. You started making your debut. Like what's the like? How nervous do you get? Because obviously it's um like it's it's a sport. There's no two ways about it. It's a physical activity, but it's it's almost so much more performance. It's like you are you yeah. are you are a show. How do these nerves affect you where it's like, because cause I come from, as I've said, I come from a rugby background where I've got 15 other people on my team. Well, I've got 14 and then that's me. So, you know, if I'm playing a bit of shit, I just sort of go, just pass the ball that way. And then yeah. we'll move on. Like, when it's when it's you and another guy just chilling, like in the ring, how's the, how are those nerves compared for like one of your first matches? Like, oh, it's literally awful. Like that um, was like the worst thing for me. They always said, like, my coach always said, like, as I got more advanced, like the in-ring stuff you've got down, it's just mm-hmm. the other stuff, you know, and that is so important. And I just didn't have any confidence in me whatsoever when I started. So yeah, like debut, I remember I went out and thought I did really, really good. I was like <laughs> absolutely buzzing. And I came back and like coach straight away was just like, how old are you? I was like, I think I, th- I think I was 15 at the time. He's like, I was like 15. And he was like, right, you didn't start acting like it. I was like, Right. Um, what? <laughs> I, love, I love that. Start acting like a grown man. Mate, I'm in high school. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, yeah. And it, oh, that was, like, the biggest, hardest thing I ever had to overcome in training. And just, like, some of the things you just don't think it'll ever come. Because, like, as mm-hmm. much as you can learn in training, it kind of just, you kind of have to just find it yourself, weirdly enough. Like, and it's, like, how do you even do that? So it took a long time. But, yeah. No, I can imagine, yeah, there's there's certain aspects to just, I mean, like, life in general, like, you don't know it until you do it, type thing. Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. They just kept saying, it'll come with age, it'll come with age. And I was like, years <laughs> ago in pie, I was like, 
when's it coming? <laughs> so it's like, oh no, <laughs> mate, you're fine. Like you'll you'll have like you've got like hacksaw Jim Duggan. He's like seventy three, still making appearances on like Legend <laughs> episode. <laughs> there you are. That's commitment. I imagine driving up and down from that young age, all those hours, all those miles, and now he's finally getting to reap the rewards of all his hard work. Next segment is with our very own editor, Sean Phelan, a great guy and the creator of the Fill Your Boots Rugby Social Network. What a man, what an incredible human being. The guy loves rugby and he wants to give back. This segment tells all about how he's planning to do that and why we should all get involved for all the rugby fans listening to this podcast. Have a listen. Right, let's get right into it. Sean, the reason I've got you on today is because you have now created the brand new social media and home for grassroots and amateur rugby in the UK and soon to be the world. How did that idea come about? Tell us about it. I'm just going to let you take the stage for five minutes. Um, so, yeah, six years ago, uh, I was the captain of my rugby club, um, Michael Decker, uh, in southwest London. And we, we were, yeah, shout out. <laughs> uh, uh, we were really struggling, really, really struggling. It was captain. It was getting embarrassing um, to call off fixtures probably three times out of out of a month. We would have to cancel because we would have eight or nine, and it's just it was just it was getting frustrating. And so then, obviously, talking talking to some people, it, it, it seemed like the right time to start a. Um, just a sort of a group, a local group, to, or whether we can get people to sort of help each other out. Um, and I didn't have a name for it. I had the idea, but I didn't have a name for it until me and a friend, Dolly, went to the NFL and got horrendously drunk. But on the train, on the tube home, they've got all the, the advertising. Yeah. Uh, and one of them said, oh, Philly Boots. And he was like, yeah, there you go. There's your name. But, you know, drunk as a skunk, couldn't even remember. And the next day, registered everything, registered a Twitter account, registered a Facebook account, and it was purely going to be a local thing mm -hmm. uh, until people sort of started following it and saw that it was a really good idea. And very quickly, it became bigger than just the Surrey area. Um, so where, you know, six years, we're followed by 25,000 people across all the social networks. Uh, we've helped hundreds of hundreds of games be saved by helping them find players and in, and in it's in sort of original form it was like a, a notice board I guess yeah. uh, to try and shout out people um, but then the pandemic hit and it just it was either try and do something different uh, or or, or, or it dies really and so we started the part so we started the podcast and we chatted to people and had the idea of sort of doing the webinars well these mm -hmm. these roundtable shows would be webinars on different subjects but uh, i think more needed to be done so i created um my very own social network <laughs> which launched last week and we're almost up to 200 members already and 65 clubs uh, that have signed up. So yeah it's, yeah, it's a social network that runs pretty much exactly like Facebook. It's a, it was a blank Facebook and we can do whatever we want with it. And um, 
we've got a really cool resources library which we're going to start to fill up with information from uh, professional bodies not just not just rugby but you know accountants telling you how to do tax and what type of tax for a community sports club and what grant fundings out there or or for players you know what's what's the best supplements or where can they find stuff out about mental health and um, everything like that so every yeah everything's in there it's completely free to sign up it's it's a it, it's a brilliant bit of kit i just need people to use it now really. <laughs> oh mate don't worry they're gonna like you said you've got 200 200 members in a week and you've got 65 clubs and i met wait how far how, how far is your farthest club already you must have someone uh, you've got, like you've got uh, Colorado. You've got a Colorado, club in Colorado already. Exactly. Colorado is the furthest club to sign up already. The I think it's North Col uh, Colorado Flamingos. Um, so uh, uh, if, they, if they don't send you a shirt for this, I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, I need to. Yeah, I need to get one. That, a, that would that would be a real good like you know obscure rugby shirt collection to fire that one in a conversation yeah, one day. I, I, do you know, I'd love that if I ever had an office. I really would. I'd love an obscure shirt collection in there. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and we've got a club in Krakow that have signed up, and all the loads of clubs in the UK. It, it's, it's one of those things I was sitting on for a while. It took sort of six months to sort of for it to actually be ready. Well, to a point where I thought it was ready because uh, I've done everything myself. Like I'm not a trained web developer, but <laughs> if you sit down and watch enough YouTube videos, and you, you kind of know what you know a little bit, so. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I want it to be a hub for everything to do with grassroots, um, a place where people can come and sort of talk to each other and interact about a certain subject. Like there's, there's a, for, in the resource library, for every subcategory, there's, there's, it, it's got its own group and its own forum. So all the marketers could get together and chat about you know, social media and stuff like that. And we'll set up sort of you can set up zoom calls within the within the platform so the idea is to do a monthly zoom call with each of these subcategories uh, mm -hmm. and groups and forums every month so then people can chat and share ideas and get um yeah and just share a bit of knowledge and hopefully we'll all grow together yeah oh no exactly that's exactly why you need to do it because um like well, just even think about it from what you've just said there like you've got a team in Krakow you can now organize like a stag do rugby game and you can be like yeah we're coming to Krakow we're going to do this and we're going to get the game and then you get stuff like that but then at the same time like you say as well you can have a team you can have your team go we need three not even specific players we need three utility backs just for the sake of a position on a name and then yeah so it is it, the possibilities for it are actually endless oh it yeah incredible it just it just needs people to use it because there's only there was only so many so much time that I can spend looking at it going yeah this is great cool but it's no one's using it but now we've yeah. got some we've got a couple of hundred people using it I can see see where where I think this could be really beneficial for, for people um, and yeah and the best of all is free just come and sign up if you're a rugby player coach volunteer sign up and then sign up. As your club and you get a nice beautiful profile as if you were you know it's just like your facebook page um but everything's rugby, going to be rugby specific it's unlike facebook and twitter and instagram 
there's a lot of noise on those sites, but this is going to be a, a you know pure online community that just about rugby for rugby players, for rugby coaches, for rugby volunteers, for rugby clubs, um, and hopefully it will sort of bring everyone together and you know, make some rugby matches happen or, or or whatever. So that's 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 the aim anyway. Exactly, and then like you said, having a rugby social network where you don't have to sift through your missus, sisters cat's sixth birthday just to get to the good stuff get to the results exactly, exactly. <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah there's, there's a lot of crap and, and and social media gets a bad rap but if we can create this community of like-minded people then we've got a real chance of of doing some good with it so yeah that's that's what it's about let's yeah cut all the facebook noise cut all the twitter noise and we just you know it's pure rugby it's pure grassroots rugby uh, yeah, we yeah we'll, we'll have some fun along the way. You know, we th there's the TV channel which has has got everything that Philly Boots has done over the last couple of years, or podcast wise. But we've also got the Women's Rugby Pod, and we've also got uh, Happinesses from from Bruce um, Bruce H. and there this will is be going on here. The, the over eighty minute podcast will all go in there. All the back catalogs will be on there. And we'll be able to do some live stuff and and yeah, just be a, a good destination for for everything rugby. Exactly, I can't wait to do the watch along with me, you, and Bruce, and you get to sit smug as England put fifty points past Scotland. And me oh, and Bruce yeah. have to sit there on a live stream and go, "Oh, this is great! I'm glad no, I'm no. Saturday doing this." <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, we can do watch alongs, so and we can do chats, and we can do live stuff, and we can get people involved, and you know, people can interact with with hopefully some some names down the line so that there's a lot there's a lot of potential for this this is obviously it's very early days and it, it's in facebook wasn't isn't what it is you know it's 15 it's years to take it to yeah. this point mm -hmm. so let's you know we've, we can build something together just yeah share experiences um yeah just share ideas and and hope yeah and share personnel really because then you know we can all rugby can survive and you know the pandemic could have easily have wiped out the grassroots game it's it, it it hasn't but there's a lot of there's a lot of other stuff that's sort of coming to the fore now that um hopefully this could be a, a really good tool uh, one of the things it was trying to describe it as is it's not pitch hero and it's not team and it's not spawned and it's not it's not a payments taking website or a, um, a club website like pitch hero this is a club development tool rather than rather than any of those like or uh, rather than a team management tool so you know just get yeah, come and get involved it's free why wouldn't you exactly it's free it's rugby and most importantly it's ran by good people with a good idea at heart there's nothing there's no evil underlying message and i can no. vouch for that as is me no. i can vouch for that so well, thank yeah, you. I appreciate that. <laughs> you always seem shocked when I compliment you. <laughs> yeah, not not very good at not very good at all that. But uh, but yeah, it's 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 this. It could be such a, a useful useful tool for everybody. Um, that's what I want it to be, and a bit of fun. And yeah, so yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be great. What a man! A truly incredible, incredible bloke. 
love him to death. I know it's going to be fun for him because he's probably going to be editing this, thinking back, going, he's never this nice to me in person. And there we are to end off the whole of our montage series on the Over in 8 Minutes podcast and get ourselves ready for season two. It ends with Matt Hardy, one of a good mate of mine, top bloke, now doing all these incredible things, working for all these different papers, all these different articles getting published by him. Incredible man. This is how he talks about how he got into journalism and specifically sports journalism, how all the teachers worked. And I'm not going to spoil it. I'm just going to let you listen if you haven't already. Uh, let's get right into it. I want to get to know about what you do because I'm really excited because I know, as I mentioned to you when I asked you to come on, I know literally nothing about sports journalism. All I know is you get a tough rap on social media every time you give your opinion. So, so how did yeah. you get into sport? How did you get into journalism and then sports journalism? Is this like um, a thing that stemmed from a young age, or was it like did it come about a different way? Well, well, kind of. I, I'm quite a sporty family. My sister um, ran for ran for Wales. Yeah, she chose Wales, all England. Well, she ran for England and Wales um, age grade athletics um, sprinter. Um, my pair and both of my parents were very, very good at sport when they were younger. So I, it's very sporty family. Um, mm-hmm. Growing up in Gloucester, when when a sport is literally like the city religion, it's a bit like uh, Cologne in Germany with football. They you kind of like worship the worship the sport. Yeah. You kind of can't get away from it. Um, but I but I was never good at writing at school. I was, I was a maths lad, and and then one of my teachers was like, "Well, why don't you try broadcasting? Why don't you try and do film and that kind of thing?" And then I found. Um, feature writing i've always hated doing match reports if i can help it but i found feature writing and i found profiles and, and talking about things other than um you know what how well the player played at the weekend for example um and then on the off chance i sent the, the then media manager at gloucester duncan wood who's a who's a really good guy he's not there anymore um an email at the age i think 16 um mm-hmm. and he bypassed all the regulations and, and and got me in three or four times that season and it kind of started from there Oh man, that's class. It's nice. It's nice when you hear stories like that of like people like aiding the like you say like guys that are quite high up going we'll chuck it down. It's like you see yeah. stories like that come around all the time. Like I saw a story on a person like a personal account the other day. Uh, some some girl that was a few years below me. She wrote her degree or she wrote her um, forgotten the word. What's it called dissertation? She wrote a dissertation on Gymshark. And then, yeah. then uh, Ben Francis invited her down for the day and stuff like that. And like, yeah, as soon as you see stuff like that, it was really nice to see. Yeah, no, he was he was absolutely brilliant, brilliant. And there was a guy with him there, Tom Tom Burrows. He's also left, but they were also always so so helpful, and they gave me every chance possible. And and that basically was the thing that got me into into uni. So because they saw that I was, I was trying to do something new, and and so I've, I've kind of got a lot to thank for 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 those two really. Also, I've I've got my old DT teachers, the stadium announcer there, um, and he does BBC Gloucestershire. So we always used to put in a nice word. So it's. It's always nice. It's, it, I hate saying that it's about who you know, but it is about who you know. I'm oh, just man, lucky it, enough it to have been is. one of the few that went to a state school and still got the same chances as so many others that, that usually get them chances at private schools or, or independent schools, really. I know, mate. I know exactly what you mean. This podcast wouldn't be a thing if it wasn't for people knowing people and yeah. calling, in, calling in on eight-year-old favours. But it's exactly <laughs> what it is. Like It's the thing. It's like you'll, you'll repay the favour. Like if somebody comes to you in six years, say Duncan, or somebody comes to you in six years going, my son's doing this or this, you'll be like, absolutely, mate. I'll help you out second to none. I'd 100% try and be, you know, when I was at, same as at uni, you had those people that would go out of their way to help you out. I hope that in 10 years, if I'm doing something anyone ever finds interesting, that I'll be the same to somebody else and, and so on. Because, you know, if, if you shut up shop after someone opened it for you, then that's that's just not on, is it really? 
No, mate, exactly. Well, it's, you do that already because, for example, like you sent me, because me and you got in touch, obviously, both blokes ambassadors. And then, obviously, me and you got in touch and I sent you sent me that through uh, your, your, it was almost your dissertation type. Yeah. Um, It was your dissertation type article and it was it was brilliant it was a really good read well i'm gonna get into that that's on my list of things to talk about later that's a really great article yeah and that's the thing is i think about helping people out i mean that that project there um i mean you have to i, I know I'll, I'll leave it to have to talk about later but i had help on that from people that we, I, I had to design that around a a a existing publication and the editor literally went this is the font we use this is what we do go ahead so yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's like yeah. it's stuff like that it's like things you can it's like you say it's like it's the more you learn it's more people you know but it's the things you learn from people already in the business rather than things you learn from people that have gone here's the tried and trusted way and you're going to sit in this classroom for 45 minutes and by the end of it you're going to know exactly what to do yeah for sure i've i've, I've been in a press room once or twice and um you know i, I asked I, i've asked someone for, for a bit of help you know how do you ask this without asking it this way and, and they instantly go right just say this uh, cite what happened in the game she'll give your reasoning that is kind of thing so people tend to be helpful you do get the ones that aren't um but generally that that's pretty minority based mm -hmm. oh, you, uh, yeah it's like you say it's just a case of like everybody wants each other to succeed as you should how's yeah. the football going i know, I know it's me yeah, you so the football there's, remote, but... there's a big 50 inch tv here i can't <laughs> help but look up it's still 2-1 still 2-1 <laughs> one. the sweepstakes are going strong so that's all that matters yeah, I, I mean, I got France one. So I'm, I'm not moaning at all. <laughs> mate, honestly, I, I'm so lucky. Mate, we only had like ten people in our sweepstakes, so everybody got like two shots, and I still drew Finland and Poland, and I, I don't think I could have got a worse too. No, I, I, I got, I got France, and I'm, I'm happy with that. Um, <laughs> it was, it was them or Belgium I really wanted, but, but yeah. Uh, uh, I, I don't trust Belgium. <laughs> <laughs> Right, advice to a budding journalist. You've got some, as we've just said, some kid comes up to you and goes, "Mate, I've seen your, I've seen your articles. I've seen you on the Over in Eight Minutes podcast. The millions have seen it. I want to get into sports journalism. Who do I contact? What's what subject do I look into? How do I get about it?" Um, there, there's literally one piece. Where a few people have asked me this when I was at uni, and they were in in lower years. It's literally, don't be afraid of no. Learn that no is a is a fine answer, and that you're going to get it a lot. Because once you learn, you're going to get it a lot. It stops hurting you know job applications or interview requests or can you help me out on this no one's busy at the moment uh, can you come back in a few weeks it's, it's just that that persistence of getting over no being a bad thing and actually being okay fine you can't help me who can um but other than that it's just about doing your research find something you love um but then broaden it so the first thing i was taught i really wanted to be a rugby journalist um i'm not sure that's exactly what i want to do anymore um, I'm, I'm more into the digital kind of long form feature side, but um, the first thing I was told was don't just look at rugby. So yeah. people always want to be a rugby, cricket or football journalist, um, but you need to know a little bit about everything. My, my sports teacher said I always wanted to be a horse racing journalist. I was lucky enough to be one for three years, but then I moved to Reuters and I, I haven't touched it since because, you know, I've, mm. I've, I've, I've done other stuff. Occasionally I go back and he, he's at the Olympics and, one day he's doing water polo and the other day he's doing judo he's, he's, he's just getting your head around the basics of of lots of things so it, i think that's the same with any kind of journalism really you know if you want to be a movie um you know critic it might also be worth being a theater critic or, or learning this that and the other because it's, it's very difficult to walk into your dream job straight out of uni or straight out of school 
Yeah, I get, I get you. It's like um, it's like how when most teachers tell you, it's like you've got to have more than one string to your bow. Like, is there's no good yeah. just one thing. Yeah, and and the other might not be there. Yeah, and the other thing is finding a path that that suits you. So there's a brilliant journalist at um, Times Radio called Matt Chorley. Um, mm-hmm. He he helped me out whenever I needed something to do with politics. You know, um, and he was at the Times then as as a red box editor. I think their their morning um, email. He'd um, he'd go, yep, yeah, come on into to Westminster. I'll give you what you need. And he was always really helpful. He didn't go to uni. He started at a local paper and worked his way up that way. So it's about finding what works for you. Some people don't don't like the assignment. Some people prefer going straight into it. And some of the best reporters you'll see, and this is reflected in a lot of um, a lot of scholarships and stuff that local newspapers are offering. They'll walk into a newspaper at 16 or 18, learn on the job, get to 20 and do a qualification paid for by the paper. And they're some of the best journalists they know because they know their patch. They know everything they need to know about where they are. Um, and they make some of the best broadcast journalists later on. Yeah, I, th- I think you make a great point. I think that in general as well, the whole getting a job and getting a modern apprenticeship, I think that speaks volumes because, I mean, I know I say it like I'm really old. I'm only 24. You're only 21. <laughs> so yeah. but we talk but we talk about it like we're a while ago. But so I remember when I was going through school, the whole of everything was you've got to go to uni, you've got to get a degree, you've got to go do yeah. whatever it is you've got to do. And I think that's like, I think it's for younger people who might happen to be listening to this. I really don't think that is the be all and end all. I think modern apprenticeships are, you can yeah. have such a, like you say, it can, if it's something you know you want to do, or even if it's just the, I don't want to spend another four years not making money, the, the advert for a modern apprenticeship yeah. is huge. I, I had a really good head of sixth form when I was at uh, secondary school. And she kind of made, she kind of forced everyone into doing what they wanted to do rather than what they were told to do. She'd ring up parents and go, look, I know you want him to go to uni, but this is this this way. He could earn this much money and be doing this by the time he's left uni, et cetera. Um, and she invited me back a while ago to chat to some students. She's no longer head of sixth form there, but she's a media teacher. And the first thing I said was, don't go to uni because someone else tells you to. It, for, for a lot of people, being persuaded into going to uni is the best thing that ever happens to them. But also, yeah. what's the point in going if you drop out after six months because you really, you've always known you're going to hate it? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think so. Yeah, I was quite unfortunate. So where, like, our schools are always in a fiercely, like, competitive race, you know, the ranking race. Yeah. And, you know, and you, you'll know yourself how they're so, they're so biased towards how many kids go to uni equal yeah. how good the school is. And it's not the case. So I don't, like, I don't blame the teachers for sending, encouraging kids to go to uni. I completely get that they're based on merit and statistics, but I think it's, it's like you said, it's a case of just doing your own knowledge and just going, if I'm going to hate this and I know I'm going to hate this, there's no point going here for six months to spend the money and then go, yeah. oh, well, I'm going. Yeah. Especially, especially when there are schools in, um, I've got some friends that went to the likes of Fetties up in Scotland who, you know, they're paying for their tuition and then there's even more pressure on the, on the school to do, to do oh, stuff yeah. there, you know? So, I'm, I'm happy to have gone to a gone to a state school, been given the option to do what I do, and and found some like a niche that I really like. Really, <laughs> you want to know something? Do you know like this is how this is how like public school I was. Like, I didn't know Fetties was a school until I was nineteen because oh. I just never came. I never came into contact with it. I never knew. It was I I, did, I didn't know either. There, there's a and there was a few. There's a few others I can't think of now. Um, that a few people oh. that I went to uni with went went to and. It's just a different world. It's, I mean, I, I, we used to look up our schools on Google Maps, and we used to look at Fetties and think, you know, I, and I, Wait, when I, when I, when, when I, was if, you, uni, if you ever, if you ever want to see the best school you'll ever see when you get off this, Shawnigan Lake School in Canada. It's on Victoria Island, right? We had them as um, we got to go there for our summer rugby tour, 
and then we had them as billets like so they came and we hosted them yeah and obviously like, i like i live i'm staying at home mom and dad while i from one house but like we live in quite a nice house and we went there and their canteen is basically just a hollowed out house like a hollowed out 10 bedroom house and it's i was crazy, like there's just levels it? to this oh the, yeah, rugby, I... the rugby pitch like i'm completely off topic but the rugby pitch is the most beautiful like high school musical Walt Disney thing you've ever seen, like yeah. beautiful one millimeter grass with a big clubhouse that comes out on a like, on a rail and this beautiful pristine pitch, and you've got these under sixteen year olds that can't chuck three passes together running around on it. <laughs> no, that's amazing. But it's, it's that whole. It's a different world, isn't it? I mean, you look at my school on on Google. It, it really wasn't. It still isn't anything special. But but you know, I'm I'm happy. I've I've gone there. I've made lifelong friends from that school. So. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't change it for the world. No, I, I, look, not at all. I look at you. Look at the private schools. You hear the stories, and you think, oh, it's not for me." No, well, so, some of the state school teachers change you, don't they? They're the ones that inspire you so much because because they kind yeah. of have to be invested in the kids. Yeah, especially especially the ones where it's like it's not a case of I I really benefited from that old style of teaching or the, the teaching you hear about where it's like if you're misbehaving, he just pulls it aside and just goes, "Stop being a dick." But yeah. you, you yeah. benefit so much more from that than here's your 20 lines and let's sit down and discuss why you feel the way you are and just your teacher goes you're just being a dick and yeah, like, yeah i mean i, I mean my 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 a-level teacher she used to take banter really well and she used to give it out as well and her philosophy was was kind of i'm going to set you three essays a week i don't expect you to do three a week i'm just pick and choose the ones you want because but every single one you do i'll mark and she found a correlation that the people that did the most or asked her for help the most got the best grade. So she was a very hands-off teacher because at sixth form she wanted to put the responsibility on you being an adult. And I think those kind of those kind of lessons set you up really well. No, I and it's, you remember these teachers as well. Like you said, you'll never like, yeah. you'll never forget your head of sixth form. And like we have our like I remember my uh, graphic design teacher. Oh, I remember I remember even better uh, my my craft and design teacher because the what they used to call in the department was they used to call so you know you had your four technical subjects you had like product yeah. design graph com engineering and craft and design and oh yeah was, we also had cooking <laughs> oh we we had home economics we called that like home economics is cooking but we had that and our teacher used to walk around and he always used to shout down the corridor he was like he always used to, they always used to call it as the in joke of craft and daft because it was like that physically craft and design. <laughs> so you'd have the, you'd have the teacher. I've probably just cost some guy's job, but <laughs> the teacher used to walk down going right, craft and daft, line up against the wall, and then like you know all the kids like smiling and grinning would line up against yeah. the wall. And I was like, yeah. but, but as I say, my 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 DT teachers worked at BBC Gloucestershire, and he does the stadium announcing it at King's Home now. So you know, sadly the 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 recent ones ones died now, but um. You know, I, I used to see him in the in the press room and he used to tell everyone that how much of a shit I was at school. But oh. it's a nice, nice little thing, you know. He always says hello and he goes, Oh, you know, I remember you you were making clocks was never your thing, like you know, that kind of thing. But but yeah, it's it's you know, they, they, those people change you, don't they? No, my my PE teacher was the same. Like God, he was he was so funny. And he used to say, because I used to ask him for references a lot for stuff like that. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I'm convinced he's the only reason I've got anywhere because he just writes this. And he goes, every time I write him a reference, he goes, if you really don't want the job, get me to write you a reference. And then I'll be like, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a really, I, one of my references for, for uni was from that teacher. And, and, and they thought, well, she sounds completely crazy, but everything she said is is amazing. You know, she puts Caesar quotes in and all this stuff. And <laughs> crazy, absolute crazy woman. My, te my teacher just used to laugh. He goes, "I reckon I could throw you out of a plane, and you'd still land on a trampoline or something like that." He was, I was that kind of lucky. <laughs> I saw that bloke the other day that jumped out of a, a plane without a parachute. Did you see that? 
No, something like six six thousand meters, and he landed yeah. in a trampoline like a big net. I thought, <laughs> no chance. No, I'm not. No, thank you. No, that sounds, that sounds like something you'd watch on like extreme sports TV when you were like fourteen. Yeah, it's Remember, like no, Travis not for me. And people like that. Yeah, not for me. Never. <laughs> Right, talk to me about Department of Journalism at City Uni London. What's this all about? I want to know about this. Well, it's, it's quite funny, really, because as we went, it, it always, it still is, I suppose. It's always been known as the as the Oxbridge of journalism. Um, <laughs> so it's always been known as the place to go. But you, know, yeah. you go there and it's nowhere near the top of the rankings. And you're not entirely sure why. It's it's probably just on its name, which, you know, I had a great, great course, great teachers. Um, very obviously politically aligned teachers which was fun because you knew what not to write with them but they probably shouldn't express yeah. their views so much um no it's a, it a really good department overall um they taught us bits and bobs um they, they they taught you you know how to be a journalist not just what one was um and there was, it was very hands-off so it was very much like well, okay well it's three days a week obviously they're all they all just mince the money out of you um <laughs> but you had two full days of being a journalist which was how they spun making it sound like a full-time course that's how they spend four day weekends yeah <laughs> yeah um and then we used to have a news day every friday or uh, of the last term where you're in at nine you have to put a program together whether it's th a three-hour radio program or an hour-long television program um you've got to get news you've got to get you've got to get interviews on the day you can't prep so it's that kind of thing um yeah. which as i think many journalists would know is not how actual journalism is but i suppose if they throw you in at the deep end um I suppose that's that's the best way but the be the reason i went there over the likes of cardiff was purely because of where it was um and the access to other things i had there so i was always in westminster always at london assembly always at twickenham um trying to find little bits to do trying to find people to meet without having work drinks and stuff like that so it's all about i, I went there and I, I left with a book i mean I left with a book maybe that thick of contacts of just you know numbers of people who work at all these places people that work for mps people that work for certain ministries you know like defense and and all of this stuff um and, and i suppose that's 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 great and i i don't want to go into political journalism it's it's a i feel like it's a little bit sleazy um oh, no, but, it's such a, such a nice easy time everybody will be so on board with your opinion regardless well, of what you say. It's, it's not the opinion it's just i just so many weird experiences like you hear all these bullying allegations you hear all these these things going on in parliament and I'm, I'm not saying you see it all the time but you can see a lot of where it stems from yeah um you know there used to be certain pub i think there still are there used to be certain pubs that you'd go to to find certain types of people whether they were bloggers or journalists or or tories or or labor liberals the students or the think tanks used to be in one pub mm -hmm. um and then there was you know a big piano bar which was always great fun um i think I think a few few times I've, I saw um, uh, Kelly Brown there singing Sweet Caroline, and you know some really <laughs> bizarre bizarre piano bar at three in the morning. But I'll, oh. just, I'll send you that video. But um, I mean, the, the stories Kelly Brown like you hear you hear Kelly Brown's name appear in such weird circles. Like I've, I've never, I think I met the guy when I was like fourteen. He wouldn't remember me to this day. No, but we've he, got um, me neither. Like, Mate, producer Sean, he, he's best friends with Happiness is Egg Shape Bruce, and they get on like a house on fire, Bruce and Kelly. So, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure Sean yeah. will be going, You've got to ask Kelly about this next yeah. time you have him on your podcast for sure. But, but that's why I went there. It was the it was the who you can meet. I was always at Twickenham, some people were very kind to me and, and helped me um, get a press pass, helped me do this, that, and the other. Um, so I, I, you know, that, that's why I went there and, 
and, and to this day I'm thankful to all of those people even the ones that I don't talk to much anymore um there's always there's always good people out there who if I re I think if I really really needed some help they'd probably help me out they might not but they might <laughs> everybody like everybody would help out like yeah I, I only don't help out if I can that's the way I look at it and even yeah then you still try to put them in touch with somebody who can yeah but that's the other thing you've got to learn is there there will be you will fall out with people is it's like real like, journalism is like a life within a life you are going to fall out with people. Some people are really not going to like you. Some people will really like you. And the best kind of people are the ones that let it go. Um, mm -hmm. But then also you've got to respect that people feel away and, and move on. That's not yeah. to say I've, I've annoyed everyone in the world, but, <laughs> you know, we, we all annoy people. This podcast will never yeah. see the light of day because you'll say something in the next two weeks. No, no, no. no. <laughs> well, we, we all annoy people, don't we? And people annoy you and it's the way of life. But but I'm, I'm sure... If, sure if, you, if you get on with if you get on with everybody you're doing something wrong that's the way i was always looked at it exactly, you exactly. no I, I remember being a, in a press room when I, I will not i've got to be careful not to name names now um and a, I'll, I'll, I'll bleep them if you do don't no worry. it's all right and, 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 and it was quite funny because there was a press conference and a journalist didn't ask um a question because he didn't need to he wasn't doing a piece the straight after he didn't need quotes um and a head coach didn't like something he wrote in the week and afterwards after came up to him and kind of like had a little go at him for writing what he wrote and you know you, you get that and you, you kind of got to move on and I, I presume they they either talk or they don't I, probably you know I, i'm not sure but um you know you get that and, and i think if, if you don't as you said if you don't get that you know you you can't be you know digging up something that needs to be spoken about yeah exactly like every every controversial topic has somebody that won't like it and there you have it that's the end of the over 80 minutes montage series four episodes a whole month gave us a chance to get everything going behind the scenes we're improving it's always going to get better i can't wait to share season two with you got some cracking guests lined up make sure you're here next week for the start of that make sure you like subscribe leave a rain Make sure you're doing whatever you can do to help the podcast grow. I'm trying from my end, but I need you guys as my friends, as my listeners to share, comment, make sure everything's going on. Tell your pals. You never know. You might have somebody that you didn't think would like a certain topic and the times that they love it, or they might hear a subject and think that guy's given a lot of great advice. My friend needs to hear that. So like, share, subscribe, leave a like rating. And remember, if you're going to be mean on the internet, it's not going to affect me, but constructive criticism is always welcome. So we'll see you guys soon. See you next week. Bye.